Welcome to Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. This show is brought to you by Simplifying, which has been helping build trust in travel for over a decade. Through in-depth conversation with aviation leaders, sustainability in the air breaks through the current clutter and provides a clear roadmap for the future. It's about time we embarked on creating a net-zero future for the industry, together. This season of the podcast is brought to you by Carbon Click, leaders in managing carbon offsetting programs for top global airlines. Without further ado, here is your host, Shashank Nigam, CEO of Simplifying. Blake, welcome to the podcast. You are running potentially the hottest startup in aviation right now, trying to go supersonic again. And who doesn't love a Concorde moment? Um, You, of course, didn't come originally from aviation. Tell us how you got into the industry and what was your eureka moment to start Boom? Well, I think I was lucky to grow up in a world in tech where everything was getting faster and better. I, I started my career at Amazon in the early 2000s. My my parents could understand why the kid with a computer science degree wanted to work at a bookstore. Um, but uh, but yeah, having spent time in tech, you know, everything was getting faster and better from our, our phones to our internet to our, to our e-commerce. Uh, but I've loved airplanes since I was a kid. Uh, and I've been flying for fun as a private pilot since I was in college. And I never understood why uh, why the most impressive passenger airplane in Concorde was found in museums rather than at airports and in the sky. And so fast forward to about uh, eight years ago, I knew I wanted to do uh, another startup. And this time I wanted to work on something that would really matter to the world. I wanted to work on the most important thing that wasn't impossible, no matter how difficult it might be. And so I thought I would get two weeks into the research on supersonic and understand why it was a bad idea that no one was doing. But instead, I found a whole bunch of stale conventional wisdom that, in fact, the technology is there, the market is there, the regulations are there. Uh, it's just very complex and it needs to be needs to be executed. And once I once I realized that, I felt like either I have no courage or I'm going to start a company and make a make a run at making it happen. Well, you definitely made a run at making it happen, and and we, there's a whole side of the industry that wants uh, this to see the day of light. I have a question before we go for, forward, though. Why did you name it Boom? Why not Sonic or Sonic Speed or something else? Why Boom? It's fun. It's memorable. It's quick. It's like it's like Boom, and you're there. And you know, and also it was a, a subtle suggestion that the sonic boom is not the blocker that people thought it were. Uh, you know, people said, "Oh, if you have to solve sonic boom, or there's no market." It's not true. There are you know hundreds of routes around the planet where um, we can give great speed ups for passengers uh, while only putting sonic booms where there's no one there to hear them. Right now, this is something you've mentioned previously as well that there are hundreds of routes uh, that this plane can fly on. American Airlines, in fact, recently ordered a bunch of these. Then they want to fly them all over. But isn't it true that over land you have to fly subsonic, and only over water you can go uh, Mach one point seven? That that's right. So over water, there's a two time speed advantage at uh, Mach one point seven, 
And over land, we can fly right under the speed of sound at Mach 0.94, which is a 20% speed advantage versus your typical subsonic uh, airliners. So a speed advantage even over land, but a much bigger one over water. And ultimately, ultimately, we expect to, you know, there'll be an overture two, there'll be an overture three. Uh, we will have airplanes that help, you know, muffle the sonic boom. And ultimately, I think we're going to have high speed flight unrestricted everywhere. But with Overture 1, our strategy was to keep things as simple as possible. And, you know, as a uh, Boom is the first new commercial aircraft company founded by entrepreneurs since Douglas Aircraft in 1921. So it's it's literally been a century. And we've set out to do something uh, uh, fairly challenging uh, with building a, a supersonic passenger airliner. And so we said for, for that first for that first overture, uh, uh, how can we simplify the problem and uh, and get this in the hands of passengers and airlines as quickly as possible? And part of that was saying, you know what, let's focus on transoceanic flying and let's put sonic booms where no one's there to hear them. And it turns out there's a wonderfully large market. And then we'll, we'll tackle the rest of it in version two. Keep it simple. I, I love it, right? Keep it simple. Keep it predictable. Almost people know what you're up against, right? You're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Concord, this, let do, let's do this in a better way. Um, at the Farnborough Air Show, you were there. Uh, Whisk CEO Gary uh, Gisson was there, and he said that it takes $2 billion to bring a new aircraft to commercial use. He's obviously just developing an air taxi with the help of Boeing. What you're doing is on a much bigger scale. You're, you're getting a new supersonic aircraft built. Uh, how much funding in total... Do you, uh, do you think you will need, and how will you get there? Uh, we expect the total cost of development and industrialization between between Boom and our suppliers to be between six and eight billion. Uh, so it's it's not an insignificant sum of capital. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that that makes it feasible is that this is uh, while it's a new capability, new design airplane, it's leveraging technology and regulations that already exist. Uh, so carbon fiber composites, turbofan engines, fly-by-wire flight controls, etc. Uh, uh, things that flew 10, 15 years ago on uh, on a 787 where there's already a known supply chain and no, a known industrial base and already known regulations. And and so for that reason, it is, you know, it, it's, I would say, only six to eight billion, not a much larger sum. Uh, and, you know, as far as how we, you know, how we get that, you know, Boom's already raised $600 million from a variety of sources. Uh, and we continue to uh, have great success in attracting investor capital, as well as uh, as airlines put up uh, prepayment dollars and suppliers uh, suppliers often invest their own capital as well to, to develop their portion of the airplane because they believe in the market for overture. Right. Now, so let's let's get straight to the point. The elephant in the room is engines. Everyone wants to know about engines ever since Rolls-Royce officially said they are no longer developing the engine with you. Uh, since then, I believe there's been a report which says both GE and Pratt & Whitney may not be interested. Who is going to get this engine for you? Uh, well, yeah, we, we knew earlier this year uh, that, that the Rolls-Royce was not going to be the, the, the best option technically and from a business model perspective. And uh, uh, they, they chose to go ahead and share that with the world. But we're, we're on track to, uh, to announce our selected engine partner later this year. You know, I can't go into conversations that are obviously private, but we are incredibly excited about the options in front of us. And uh, about having not just 
the first uh, 100% SAF-capable supersonic engine ever, but also a transformational business model that goes along with it, which will provide airlines and ultimately passengers with some significant cost savings relative to traditional business models. So I can't steal my own thunder on this, but uh, later this year we'll be unveiling the engine for Overture, and, uh, and, then, and then that question will be answered. It definitely calms my nerves and definitely the nerves of some of the listeners that, okay, there is an answer there, rather than um, you're trying to figure that one out. The question, though, is how do you get a United and an American to commit to, you know, paying you non-refundable fee uh, without having something as critical as engine and performance metrics? And I know a lot of that is based on uh, the engine being decided. Well, I think we are very fortunate to have incredibly visionary customers, uh, both both at United and American at Japan Airlines, who actually pre-ordered much earlier. And the 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 additionally, we've got great suppliers who've already announced, like Safran, Collins, Eaton. And what do we, what do all these people believe? They all believe there is a large market for supersonic commercial flight in the model and in the form factor that we're building in Overture. And so uh, in that context, all the pieces are going to come together. And, and you know, we, we're not going to rush a decision as critical as the engine decision. And like I said, it's not just about technology. It's about business model. And about uh, you know, t- today, uh, t- today, there's just really uh, maybe predatory pricing in the way jet engines are maintained. And there's an opportunity for us to do much better that will will reduce the cost of supersonic flight, and uh, and so you know we are we're excited to announce that when the time is ready, but the, everyone who's close to this understands that of course this is going to be solved. It's always been on our plan to solve it this year and announce you know announce what the what the engine selection is and that more importantly the business model associated with that. Right. So that's interesting and exciting. Japan Airlines, uh, thanks for reminding. Also reminded me that. Uh, an early supporter like Virgin Atlantic has actually backed out uh, while others have come in. Is that because of the engine issue? Is do they have their own reasons? It's nothing to do with nothing to do with engine. You know, we we we're grateful with the early work we did with Virgin Group, which was actually uh, separate from from Virgin Atlantic, and uh, you know they've they've had their own. Um, uh, you know their their own uh, trajectory, and uh, I mean ultimately we see uh, Overture as something that every major global airline uh, is going to going to want to have as part of their fleet. We can have discussions with airlines on you know virtually every continent. Wow, fantastic! I'm 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 wishing you all the success in in that for sure. Now, one of the most interesting aspects of this is what you just mentioned: sustainable aviation fuel. How uh, Boom will fly on 100% SAF. Uh, I saw Ben's report recently that was launched around Boom's own sustainability targets and how you'll get there. One of the things that works in your favor is that the cost of sustainable aviation fuel is coming down uh, just like solar and wind did, isn't it? Will there be enough SAF to go around at the right prices? So let's pull the camera back for anybody who's who's not been following sustainable aviation fuel uh, in, in, in minute detail. I think there's there's broad recognition in the industry that we need to carbon uh, decarbonize air travel. And, there, and there's sort of one contingent that says, you know what, we should um, you know, we should just fly less. And uh, and I'm very much of a very different view. Like I, I think life happens in person. I think travel is an incredible good. I think the ability to get, you know, for example, our, our you know, I want my kids to grow up having 
not just read about other cultures in textbooks or on YouTube videos, but actually have been there and broken bread with people on every continent because I think it's incredibly humanizing. Um, and, and I could keep going about the, the benefits of travel. So I think our, our challenge really is that uh, we actually want to enable a lot more travel. We want more people going more places more often, but we have to do that in a way that is, is also good for the planet. So how do we do that? Well, in, um, in short-haul aviation, uh, there's, there's belief, you know, a good reason to believe that battery electric will work well. Uh, but for long-haul, for travel between continents, uh, batteries are 50 times heavier than jet fuel. And so you want to cross the Atlantic on a battery, you, you run out of charge before you get there. So we need, the, we need high energy density fuels. And there's some you know people look at, like hydrogen, uh, which has got massive infrastructural challenges. Uh, but sustainable aviation fuel is basically synthetic jet fuel. It's, it's, uh, there are a bunch of different ways to build it, but it's built in essence from carbon that's been removed from the atmosphere and then, uh, and then, and then liquefied. And so, uh, so we designed Overture to be the first airliner uh, that's uh, intended to run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel without blends or additives. The, the legacy subsonic fleet needs to blend in about 50% fossil stuff with the, the sustainable fuel in order to get some uh, uh, impurities, or, uh, some, some compounds that, are, that the old airplanes actually need. And Overture, Overture won't need those. Uh, it can run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel, which means not not just the carbon emissions are better. On the, on the right feedstock, this can actually be net zero carbon. Uh, but additionally, we can reduce our, our non-CO2 emissions as well. Now, historically, the challenge with sustainable aviation fuel is it costs too much. We don't have enough of it. And it, in fact, it looks a lot like solar and wind did, call it, 20 years ago, where the, the costs are high and the scale is low. Uh, but what we've seen is that uh, just like solar and wind went through this exponential improvement curve, where in many many places in the world, renewables are now the low cost source of energy, and and what we're seeing is the early part of the trajectory uh, for sustainable aviation fuel going to be on the same path. Production is increasing exponentially. We're seeing the sort of incentive and support around sustainable aviation fuel that we saw for other renewables in their early days. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act that was just signed into law creates a blender's tax credit, for example, the same kind of incentive structure that was um, that helped drive growth of other, other renewables in their early days. So there's a lot of work left to be done there. But when we look at two things, one is we look at the rate of improvement, and number two, we look at what are the fundamental uh, cost inputs uh, and the scalability of those inputs to, to sustainable aviation fuel production. That makes us very bullish that ultimately not only are we going to have enough sustainable aviation fuel, but it's going to be available on great economics as well. And uh, I, I, think, uh, I think we'll see that, uh, that, that SAF actually has an economic advantage relative to running on, on, on fossil. Now, it'll take some time to get there, and a lot of things, a lot of investment has to happen. It's not going to be easy, and it's not guaranteed, but that, uh, we are very much uh, SAF uh, bulls. No, absolutely. We've seen it, like you said, seen it happen in solar. For example, solar has indeed become one of the cheapest ways to uh, get electricity in many uh, jurisdictions. Um, though, while I agree, the cost is definitely getting lower and the supply will also be increasing. In fact, I had uh, the VP of SAF from Neste tell me that they're increasing capacity 15x year on year uh, for next year. So definitely 
that capacity is increasing as well. But the question uh, that was raised actually by a former guest on this podcast, Dan Rutherford of the ICCT, he said that 15 overture jets would burn 360 million gallons of SAF per year, which is about 6% of the U.S. production in 2020, or 5 million acres of soybeans planted in South Dakota. What do you say to critics like Dan, who claim that you're diverting SAF away from where it's truly needed, where it could be powering 300 or 400 seat subsonic aircraft on trans-Pacific or transatlantic routes? So first of all, those numbers are wrong. But but the here, here's the thing that, that, that matters. Uh, to make supersonic, uh, forget supersonic, to make long-haul aviation sustainable and carbon neutral, uh, we need enormous quantities of sustainable aviation fuel. And it's going to come from newer generation feedstocks, uh, the, 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 the crop-based biofuels. There are a whole lot of problems with that. It takes a lot of arable land. It's not, it's not 100% carbon neutral on a life cycle basis. Um, uh, lots, lots of issues with first generation sustainable fuel, but latest generation, third generation sustainable fuel is, uh, is a carbon capture technology. And there are lots of different players working on this. Uh, but in essence, what it does is take, uh, take carbon from the atmosphere and then use, uh, green electricity sources like solar, wind, nuclear, uh, to be able to create an ultra pure form of jet fuel. And, uh, uh, and so the, the, the inputs to that are fundamentally unlimited. We just need green power sources and we need carbon in the atmosphere. And if we run out of carbon in the atmosphere, then I guess we solved the problem. So, uh, so, so, and the, the, uh, this stuff is, is, it's fundamentally infinitely scalable, um, needs a lot of investment to make it actually scale. Uh, but if you, if you believe that, uh, if, if you believe that all of this can happen, then there's going to be plenty of sustainable fuel to go around. And I, you know, I see ourselves, uh, at Boom as playing an important role in catalyzing that investment. And so, uh, you know, so we, we have, we have some well-known partnerships with sustainable fuel providers. Uh, we're going to be announcing more in the not too distant future. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's part of our role and you know, United does the same thing to invest in SAF production so that ultimately there's going to be plenty, uh, plenty of fuel available and then, and then building overtures such that we can run on hundred percent sustainable fuel and not needing the blends or the additives that the legacy fleet needs. And ultimately subsonic will catch up as well. It's not going to be just overture, but I'm really proud of our, our leadership position on this front. Sure. So what you're saying is there will be enough for everyone. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it won't it, be a scarce commodity. No, I mean, it, 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 unless carbon in the atmosphere is a scarce commodity, there's no reason to believe that's a good news. Aviation fuel is going to be a scarce commodity. <laughs> okay, you mentioned partners. You're obviously uh, working in partnership for SAF with uh, Prometheus, uh, which is using direct air capture f- uh, from 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 the air. Uh, how's that coming about? How's that working out? Um, you know, we're we're huge fans of, uh, of Prometheus. You know, but they're also not the only player. And you know, I I see Boom's role here is to be you know kind of kind of a Switzerland of sustainable aviation fuel and to be a catalyst whenever we can be. So uh, anytime we see a promising technology, we're going to go make a bet on it and do everything we can to help that to help that scale. And this is a I think it's too early to say. Who all the winners are going to be, and my my hope is that they're going to be you know multiple significant winners here. Right, and Climeworks is the other partner you have recently signed with, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we we have announced relationships with with Climeworks, with Prometheus, and there's there is more to come on that front in the not too distant future. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to those uh, definitely. Then, um, of course, 
CO2 emissions are only one part of the sustainability puzzle. Um, talk us through what impact Overture will have on non-CO2 emissions and how do you plan on tackling those? Yeah, I'm really glad you're bringing that up because you're right. There is a uh, there, there is rightly a lot of focus on CO2, but CO2 is not the only thing that not the only thing that matters here. And uh, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how we approach this at Boom. Then I can talk about some of the specifics. You know, so as, as I said before, uh, you know, I deeply believe in a future in which more people go more places more often, and that's enabled by flights that are faster, more affordable, more convenient, but they have to be more sustainable. And uh, and so uh, and the non CO two front, the science is a lot more complicated than it is on on, uh, on CO two. And so we work with some of the leading atmospheric scientists in the world to understand that. And then whenever we can take uh, take action and make decisions on overture that will improve our non CO two impacts, we we do that. You know, so I'll, I'll give you just a couple examples. Uh, so it's it's difficult to quantify, but there's good reason to believe that that contrails are bad for climate. Uh, that there's a radiative forcing effect, and, but it turns out flying higher in the atmosphere, uh, there's there's less uh, less water vapor in the air. There's going to be fewer contrails, maybe none, um, and uh, and then that's going to generate a positive climate effect. Uh, additionally, there is um, there's mixed science on uh, non-CO2 emissions uh, in the in the stratosphere. There's some, some some science that says it's a good thing. Some science that says it's a bad thing. It's really hard to know for sure right now. But when we had the opportunity to shape the design of Overture, uh, uh, we we chose to slightly reduce the cruise speed. Our initial cruise speed was Mach 2.2, and uh, for this and several other reasons, we chose Mach 1.7. And uh, one of the benefits of that is the average altitudes flown. Uh, uh, reduce. And so we spend more time at relatively lower altitudes versus at higher altitudes, where that question of where the emissions are just, just you know, starts to come off the table. And then the, the, the other thing I'll mention here um, is it's, it's the, frankly, the emission that people notice the most, which is, which is sound. And, you know, and supersonic airplanes, whether we're talking fighter jets or Concorde, you know, they, they've got a bad reputation. I should say they've earned a bad reputation for being loud, you know, with those you know, after burning engines, windows rattling around airport communities. And when when uh, uh, when supersonic comes to your local airport, we want the community to be excited, not nervous that their windows are going to rattle. And so we challenged ourselves to, to design Overture to meet the same most stringent community noise standards that apply to latest generation subsonic. Uh, and so, you know, how we do that, uh, it's partially the engine design using turbofans, not turbojets, not using afterburners, uh, but also some changes in the wing geometry and in fact, some software optimization of takeoff profiles. There's a lot of sophistication that goes into actually accomplishing this, but the, the, the net result is going to be, uh, you know, o Overture is going to certify the same noise, noise levels that apply to latest generation subsonic. And um, and so I think for that reason, there's a lot of reasons for community to be excited. But we're we're going to keep looking at all this stuff and always challenging ourselves. How do we continue to remove sustainability as a barrier to travel? Fantastic. Now, are you saying that you are close to removing the sonic boom if you're meeting normal noise standards? No, no. So there there, there are two different um, two different questions about noise associated with supersonic airplanes. Uh, the one that everyone thinks about is the sonic boom, which is the sound the airplane makes whenever it's flying faster than the speed of sound, uh, continuously. And so, with, with Overture One, uh, our keep it simple strategy is we'll do we'll fly supersonic over water where no one's there to hear it. 
and over land will fly right under the speed of sound. Uh, still have a speed advantage there, about twenty percent, but there's no there's no sonic boom where anyone's there to hear it. So that that whole question is just moot on version one. Uh, but the, the uh, version so we'll solve sonic boom on version two, version three. But uh, uh, but version one has to solve takeoff and landing. Um, and uh, and supersonic airplanes, like I said, it earned a reputation for being loud around airports because of the aerodynamics of the airplane because of the the afterburning engines and and we've been able to eliminate that from overture's design so around airport communities uh it can be uh can be quiet operation got it that that makes much more sense thanks for clarifying that um i'm I'm just curious on a side note uh personally curious uh, is there anyone on your team who worked on the original concord as well uh, not not full time, but we we have many friends in the in the Concord community. Um, I have a uh, if I turn the camera around in my office here, we have a we have a print of um, uh, a beautiful print of Concord that's signed by every Concord engineer or pilot that's come and spent time with us. And uh, you know many of them uh, many of them are still alive. Many of them are still incredibly sharp. Um, and we've had that we had the great benefit of of really standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, the more the more we learn about what it takes to make overture possible, quite frankly, the more um, uh, the more in awe I am of what was accomplished 60 years ago with slide rules and wind tunnels and drafting paper, uh, a really really incredible machine technologically. You know that was missing a business model, and so you know we we are building on top of everything learned from Concord technically. And then we are we are also uh, uh, ensuring that we have a business model that you know to fa- tickets that are affordable to enough passengers, an airplane that's profitable for airlines. Because sustainability is not just about uh, it's not just about emissions and sound. It's about economics. And you know, and Concord uh, Concord's not here anymore because economically it was unsustainable. And uh, we want to deliver a supersonic airplane that uh, tens of millions of people can benefit from. And you know, ultimately, I think several generations into the future, I want anyone who flies to be able to benefit from supersonic. And that requires focusing on um, economics every bit as much as it requires focusing on environment. No, absolutely. I think it has to be, you're right, it has to be the right price. Uh, it cannot be the $12,000, I think it was at that time, which is $50,000 in today's uh, prices for a round trip on the Concorde at that time. Yeah, I mean, think, think roughly four times first class, and then uh, and then a hundred seats on the airplane. Uh, and so it's just it's hard to find a hundred people who have twenty grand uh, to go somewhere really quick. And so the you know, even on the most profitable routes for Concorde, the airplane flew half empty. And so uh, you know, uh, Overture will be profitable at fares in the same range as what people already pay in business class. So, so think a quarter uh, of what was routinely charged on Concorde, and then with sixty-five seats on the airplane versus a hundred, this is designed to be something that uh, uh, can get good load factors. The airlines can fill the seats on not just in a couple of very popular routes, but on hundreds of routes around the planet, and that's what enables us to get to economies of scale. Now, that's very interesting. Right? You keep mentioning hundreds of routes around the planet. Who do you envision flying this plane? Will it be businessmen like you and I or entrepreneurs? Will it be the president of the U.S.? Or will it be uh, some um, tycoon going to Davos who's flying this? Who will be flying Overture? Well, I mean, the I think the initial focus is people who would fly first or business internationally today. Um, and so that is, you know, that's not everybody, but it is tens of millions of passengers uh, every year. 
uh, both people traveling on business uh, as well as people traveling on leisure who have the, the means to, to fly front cabin. And uh, and so that's that's a significant step forward in accessibility versus on Concord. But I, I'm, I'm sure for many people listening – um, uh, but you know, business business class is not inexpensive, and that's that's why we're not stopping with Overture One. There's going to be an Overture Two, Overture Three, and we're, we're you know, we will work very hard to increase the efficiency of supersonic flight, such that more people can benefit from it. Um, you know, if I, if I think back about some of my my personal motivation, my my kids, um, sadly until until last year, they had a grandfather who lived 18 hours away in Hong Kong, and uh, he passed last year, uh, having met his grandkids maybe three or four times their entire life. And, the, and, the, and why? Because 18 hours is too darn long. It's too long, especially for the very young or the very old. And, and he was a pretty special person, a self-made man, an entrepreneur, the kind of person you really wish, I really wish had been able to you know, be there and share some of his life lessons. Um, and, uh, and so those are the, those are the use cases that that make me get up in the morning and say it's very hard, but I want to make this happen. I've got to make this happen, and to do that requires you know uh, 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 working not just the speed, but also the affordability and the convenience, because that's what enables the most people to benefit from this as often as possible. I can totally uh, relate to that, having grown up in Singapore myself. And when I was studying in Pittsburgh, I would go off to Boston and then fly on the Singapore Airlines nonstop flight to Singapore, which was 19 and a half hours. Uh, and that really meant you, you can't just take this flight every couple of uh, months or, or a couple of times a year, even for that matter. Right. Um, these are very long journeys. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's exactly right. And on one hand, you know, I feel this immense gratitude that we that we have jet airplanes and those flights exist at all is, is incredible. But if we look at the first 50 years of aviation from the Wright brothers forward into the jet age, uh, we made regular progress on speeding up travel. And every time we sped up travel, people didn't spend less time on airplanes. They actually spent more because there were so many more possibilities in the world. But then we, we sort of lost our way in the, in the, the, the 60s and 70s. And we focused on making the machine more efficient, which is great. It should be. But we left off making humans more efficient. We left off um, improving our own ability to access the people and places on our planet. And it's it's time to pick back up. Uh, I think, as you can tell, I'm incredibly passionate about this, um, which which I'd better be because it's not it's not easy. Absolutely. Now you've had a you've had a long run at this. You didn't start this yesterday. What are some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in your journey since 2014 till date? Well, look, maybe I should talk about what the what the challenges aren't, and then I'll kind of talk about talk about what they are. Um, you know, the, the fundamental technologies for supersonic flight exist. Uh, uh, in, in fact, uh, basically everything we need from a material science perspective, a basic technology perspective, flew 10, 15 years ago on the Dreamliner. Um, so that the tech is there. Uh, the market is there. I think it's I think it's fairly obvious that passengers want this, uh, so long as it's affordable and sustainable. Um, uh, the supply chain exists, so, so there hasn't been a lot of just having to create you know unobtainium from from scratch. Yet, um, you know, Boom is the first new commercial aircraft company uh, in uh, in the century, and there was an enormous amount of doubt about whether. Uh, uh, whether anybody could build a successful supersonic airliner, let alone whether a new company could, and uh, and so you know we we started with you know me and a handful of people working in my basement, 
um, and uh, and trying to convince investors and customers and suppliers that 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 this was the right model and this was a team that was going to pull it off. And so, you know, along the way, we you know we built and rolled out um, XB1, uh, which is history's first independently developed supersonic jet. It's the kind of one-third scale technology demonstrator for Overture, which was about proving to our uh, proving to others, but most importantly to ourselves, that we knew how to do this. Um, uh, so many, you know, m- many, many challenges along the way of you know putting putting together the team that can do it, putting together the capital that makes it possible, and then uh, and then you know, working with the likes of United and American uh, to establish that we're building something that's not just the sexiness of speed, but also has an economic and physical and operational form factor that truly works for airlines. Well, it's it's been I'm I'm getting goosebumps listening to the story myself. Um... And it's it's quite commendable. Uh, you've come so far since 2014. Uh, having said that, you know, you have your fair share of skeptics. You've got journalists who say they don't like the name Boom. Uh, you've got uh, people within aviation who say, oh, an outsider will never make it. And you've got, you know, as of latest this week, hot off the presses, oh, they don't have an engine. Uh, how do you deal with skeptics? You know, uh the most important thing is that we, uh, and this is what I say to our, our team here, is focus on our customers and focus on execution and deliver the product that does what we say we want it to do. That's the most important thing. Uh, and of course, there are going to be doubters along the way. And you know what? In, in many cases, they're right. What we're doing is really hard. And if it were easy, someone would have done it already. So, you know, so I don't, I don't mind that people have their doubts about whether we're going to make it. Um, you know, but what, what, what motivates me every morning and what motivates the, the incredibly talented group of people we have working on this is that it's all possible. And, uh, we've, we've, you know, while we have challenges ahead of us, we've got a lot of challenges that are also in the rearview mirror. You know, we've, we're now the only independent company ever to have built and tested a supersonic jet. No one's done that before. Uh, we have already more orders and pre-orders, uh, than, than Concorde, uh, ever had aircraft that entered service. Um, we've, we've raised $600 million. We've got states like North Carolina have, you know, thrown in to help us build the, the super factory where we're going to build Overture. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of work left to be done, a lot of hard problems ahead, but there are also, there are also some significant challenges that are in the rearview mirror. And, you know, we are, uh, we are incredibly motivated by what we set out to do and, uh, and we'll continue doing everything it takes to overcome those challenges and to deliver, deliver for ourselves and for the world, something I deeply believe needs to exist. Uh, you, I can totally feel your passion. Um, and it's one thing to motivate your team by saying, let's execute and let's deliver on the promise. How do you keep yourself personally motivated? Uh, you know, it's been since 2014. As Like I said, you didn't start this yesterday. How do you keep yourself motivated? It's the, it's the same answer. And uh, I'm glad you asked that question because it goes very much back to my choice of to work on this versus any of the other things I might have worked on. Um, you know, something that I think, you know, entrepreneurs listening can, can appreciate is that there is no such thing as an easy startup. They're all hard. Every single one, whether it's a mobile app or an airplane. Um, uh, uh, and as a ambitious founder, I know I'm going to run at my personal red line no matter what I'm doing. And, and that effort's always going to feel the same. But I could be working on a, you know, a mobile e-commerce app like my first company, or I could be working on a supersonic airliner. And so that what feels really different is, is the payoff. Uh, am, I, am I building something that I really, really want to exist in the world? And so 
you know, there are, you know, there, there are days on this that, that feel awesome. You know, like when we announce a new customer, we announce a new partner, you know, or, uh, or, you know, just like a few weeks ago when XB1 had its first taxi test, uh, those days feel awesome, but they're also the days that are challenging. And, you know, what gets all of us through that is a, a deep belief that what we're building is important and it should exist and it's all possible. No, that's that's fantastic. Uh, and yet you will have someone who will knock on your door and say, are you going to rattle my windows? How are you going to deal with rattling of windows, right? You know what? It's a, it's a valid question because everyone remembers that Concord did that. So I don't I don't I don't mind the well-intentioned questions. And it's our it's our job to to answer them and ultimately deliver a product that's 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 great for all the key stakeholders. Fantastic. Well, I personally did not board the Concorde. It was, you know, down and out before I started flying significantly myself. But I do hope to fly on the Overture, uh, either United or American or Japan Airlines or another airline for that matter. Um, and I do wish you all the success. It's uh, I have to admit that researching up for uh, researching for this interview, I was becoming more and more pessimistic just because every single person had a counter argument to every single thing you said. But after speaking with you, I'm definitely feeling uh, more hopeful about the future of Boom and Overture. So uh, thank you for that. There's a, there's a final part of this interview, though, which is called the rapid fire round, which is just very quick and easy questions. Uh, but you have to be very quick in answering them, obviously, uh, based on what comes to your mind. So we'll, we'll start with something very, very simple. Um, you know, what's your what's your favorite green city? My favorite green city. Oh man, I, mean, I have to say Seattle. I spent my my twenties in Seattle, and it is quite literally green in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, <laughs> when not gray, <laughs> when not <laughs> when not gray and rainy. Yeah, Seattle's a great place to have an instrument rating as a pilot. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what about your favorite book, either on sustainability or a favorite book in general? Um, I mean, I've been reading, I've been reading sci-fi lately, and you know, I, actually, I, I lament a little bit that there isn't more optimistic sci-fi. Uh, we've had a lot of dystopian sci-fi. I'd like to, I'd like to see more optimistic sci-fi. So, what's a good book for optimistic sci-fi readers? Uh, one of my favorite ones recently is probably The Martian. It's a little bit of a cliche to say it. Uh, but you know there there is a story of technological achievement, and I'm guessing that's your favorite movie as well. Then, oh, it's uh, it's hard to hard to pick favorite favorite movies. I mean, I love that it's it's a brilliant movie. Uh, I I enjoyed the new Top Gun, the original Top Gun. Um, uh, I enjoyed Sully. I enjoyed uh, Apollo 13. Um, you know, but also, also I, I see a trend here. <laughs> um, like I love the Incredibles. I love Ratatouille. Uh, I love the story, uh, you know, in, in Ratatouille about this notion of like anybody can cook and this notion of, you know, innovators can come from anywhere. Yep. Yep. No, definitely. Definitely. One of a few of them are my, my favorites too. Uh, which airline do you think is currently doing a good job getting to net zero? Um, you know, we, we are very grateful to be partnered with United, uh, who I think very early on, uh, uh, saw the importance of sustainable aviation fuel and uh, was willing to bet not just its brand, but also its capital on investing and scaling the supply chain. I think that's, a, I think it's a big deal and it's inspiring to, it's inspiring to me. I think it's inspiring to the rest of the industry. Absolutely. We, we had Scott Kirby on uh, this show and he was definitely one of the most knowledgeable CEOs I've spoken with on sustainability. Um, Another question, uh, what is your most controversial sustainability opinion? Uh, 
probably that supersonic flight is going to be a sustainability pro, not a sustainability con. Uh, people remember Concorde as almost the epitome of unsustainable. We literally don't have it anymore. Um, and then, and the, the notion that the, the, the fastest airliner can also be the best one for the planet is, um, I think, a, an important but not yet widely recognized truth. Maybe you should have called this the Procord rather than the Concord. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> the Procord, right? Um, how about uh, something that you still want to learn? Uh, I mean, we could we could talk forever. Um, the uh, you know l- lately I've been doing some research and some reading on uh, on longevity science, uh, on on neuroscience and how the brain works. I mean, I think there is there's virtually nothing that I'm not interested in in learning. Uh, I, uh, I I wish I could live ten times as long so I could explore all these things. Well, it's you as long as you're young at heart, you can continue learning and and living these right. And uh, you know what? Uh, there's there's a bloke I know called Blake who's inventing this really fast plane, so you can get around faster, and you need not live live that long. You know, you know, sometimes I think I should have really worked on longevity before I worked on airplanes. Because <laughs> if I succeeded at that, then right. I have all the time to work on all the other right. things. Right? Absolutely. Who do you look up to as a leader? Uh, I mean, there there are a whole bunch that. Um, that I look up to. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I started my career at Amazon. I had the good fortune to work not not a lot, but a little bit with 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 Jeff Bezos, who super uh, super impressed me with his ability to think long range and think in terms of principles and uh, and build things that were going to matter for the long term. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm uh, inspired by what has been accomplished at at SpaceX and Tesla. By by Elon and you know you, you were asking earlier about uh, you know, why why should people believe that an outsider could come in and do this? Well, the most impressive rocket company and the most impressive car company were both created by outsiders. Um, so in some ways, I actually think that's that's an advantage, not a disadvantage. Right. And finally, what's the best advice you've received? Um, it's a cliche to say this, but it's. But it's totally true, which is uh, you have to optimize. I found I have to optimize for uh, uh, what things are going to make me happy in success and uh, pursuing pursuing things I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, in working on Boom, there's no there's no shortage of challenge. But I never get up in the morning and think, why did I get into this? Um, the, the the answer is obvious, and no matter how hard it is, it's always worth it. And uh, and when I found that. When I, when I pursue something that I truly love, I find that I have capability that I didn't know I had. And, and I'm willing to reinvent, uh, reinvent my leadership to, to, to be able to do what I've set out to do. So that it's, it's a cliche to say follow your passion, but it's really, really deeply true. Um, you know, like ask, asking myself the question, if I could do anything in the world and be guaranteed success, what would I work on? And, uh, and, then, and then going and actually working on that. Well, fantastic. I'm, I'm sure... Um, some of the listeners would love to, uh, would have loved to, you know, know you a bit more personally, a bit better personally. Uh, but this, this was great, Blake. I, like I said, I feel more hopeful, definitely more hopeful after speaking with you about the feature of Boom and Overture. And I do hope to step on board a supersonic flight myself one day. Thank you for. Well, I can't wait. I'll come you aboard. Yes, yeah, th- <laughs> thank you for doing your best to make this a reality. Thank you. Thank you.
you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. We hope you liked it and will share it with your network. Please also leave us a review. Awareness is the key to a green future. Your support will help our insights on sustainable aviation reach a wider audience. In addition, for every single listen of this podcast, we will plant a tree. And for every single review, we will plant 50 trees. You can also write to us at podcast at And for more content on sustainable aviation, please visit our website, simplifying.com, and join the movement. Oh,